0: Welcome to Sana talks to people and sometimes herself. I'm your host Sana, and today I'm joined by my lovely friend Cat. Cat um, Rodriguez. Hi. Help. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thanks for joining. So, Cat, oh, uh, I'm no just going to give a brief introduction on her. She works um, at the not-for-profit. Uh, sector in uh, mental health. And she's very passionate about the social justice, about social justice issues, uh, particularly poverty and mental health. Uh, She's currently studying her undergrad in business and society, which also reflects her interest in politics. So as you can imagine, Kat is a very fun and interesting person to talk to just because of all the passion that she has. And I'm really excited to have her on my podcast. So welcome, Kat.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for all the flattery.
0: Oh, you're, you're most welcome. And the topic for today, uh, I'm just telling the truth. We thought it would be interesting to talk about body positivity. And Kat actually brings uh, personal experience into the table. And uh, from this topic, we want to delve into some social norms, maybe talk about you know her experience in the dating world. Uh, her, her experience in the um, health uh, health sector, like in the medical sector, and, and so forth. And just uh, we want to sort of challenge the the societal norms and the belief about healthy and weight or thinness that leads to body shaming uh, and so forth. I am going to ask Kat a question. <laughs> and um, so b- before I ask that question, I'm just going to briefly give a little definition. So if you type in body positivity online here's what you'll see just type in that on google and it'll say it's a social movement initially created to empower larger individuals while also challenging the ways in which society presents and views the physical body Uh, the movement advocates for acceptance of all bodies uh, regardless of physical ability size gender race or um, appearances so Uh, in its whole it's a wonderful wonderful movement um and even despite what i've said there has been a backlash to it as well some people are very anti um the body positivity movement and not not for the very obvious reasons they have their reasons but anyway before getting into this big debate i just want to ask kat so coming from a lot of personal experience kat how do you define body positivity in our culture today?
1: I think there's a lot of contradiction. I think there's a lot of opposing views and a lot of opposing feelings around the topic. Of all of the you know, classes, if you, like you and I, we studied the Human Rights Code and we look at all of the different classes that are protected under the human rights code body shape and size is the one thing that's not included um there are no human rights laws that protect people from discrimination for body size so you the, the discrimination of bigger bodies is so prevalent and the reason for this, the conflicting ideas, um, there's the um, ideas that you know, the body positivity movement is trying to promote, which is acceptance of larger bodies. But then there's this whole industry that feeds off of the insecurities of people and how they feel about their own. So there's, you know, capitalism that has a, you know, a direct influence on how society views bigger bodies. And then on top of that, we have a medical industry that body shames incessantly. And the we have a health industry that's obsessed with, you know, smaller body size means healthier bodies. And you have to lose weight and take care of your body. And how you look is actually going to reflect how healthy you are. And and a lot of the the these More negative viewpoints are fueled by these medical opinions that uh fatter is unhealthy and skinnier is healthy. And that's going to create a movement of people that are like, no, body positivity is actually harming people because it's giving people the okay to be unhealthy. And that's creating other problems in our society, like obesity. And so there's these conflicting views around. Um, around whether or not um, we should subscribe to these body positivity um, notions and being more positive around fatter bodies. And then there's this this other side that's like, no, that's unhealthy. Um, We need to do something to help people to lose the weight because it's killing them. Um, Mm -hmm. So part of what I wanted to do in this conversation is kind of challenge some of those beliefs on either side because okay. even even i struggle to pick a side most days
0: i mean i think it's it's fairly natural for for all of us right everybody and and regardless of where you fit on the scale uh, from the person that's you know could classically be defined as skinny you know they may think no i'm not i'm not skinny and fat and and i mean and you have all these conditions you know you have um, body dys- dysmorphia actors have talked about it and sometimes you're like them really they felt that way and you know you have anorexia you have bulimia you have eating disorders so there's a lot of there's a whole slew of uh, mental health conditions that fit under this that that could be either a symptom of the society or, or of what we're being told right because we're being told very conflicting messages and I like that you pointed that out in a very holistic way that there's so many factors to consider and obviously we're not going to get through all of them in minute chat today but it's still important to consider that you know what it's not it's not black and white there's a whole lot of gray and you can't just argue and say well body positivity promotes unhealthy living that that's not an that's not a sufficient reason for a person to um, hate Bos- the, the movement or dislike the movement. So I, I, th- I do admire you for, you know, bringing forth a lot of that experience and sharing that. And I do want to get your perspective because you mentioned the medical industry, right. And how it very key, and not only in feeding some of the capitalist uh, mindset, but obviously we know it, it's a business, right? At the pharmaceutical industry, it's a business. The wellness industry is a business. So when we talk about capitalism, when we talk about a business, um, it's easy to see the link between the medical sector, the health sector, and just how vulnerable we are uh, in terms of the misinformation that we are fed. To give an example of the um, study that uh, vilified fats you know uh, which was heavily uh, lobbied by those that had the interest in you know uh, to promote the, the wheat or carbs so it's just really complex so doctors have more power than they they realize I think they they, they have an incredible influence in the products they endorse in the way they talk to their patients And I think uh, you were chatting about earlier that you have a very, had an experience of talking to someone that was doing a study um, of how people are treated as
1: patients. Yes. So I've been plus size my entire life. Um, I was a chubby baby. I was a chubby child. I was plus size as a teen. And my weight has, even though it's fluctuated um, over my 20s and my 30s, I've always been big. And um, that has enormous implications on my self-esteem, on how I was raised. I was bullied as a child for my weight for the entire uh, time I was in elementary school. So that, you know, compounds a lot of my, the the view of how I see myself. Mm -hmm. But actual discrimination as an adult happened more in the medical field. Um, there's there's two areas um, where I think this, I've experienced discrimination for being plus size, and that's in the dating world, and that's in the medical field. And I, a few years ago, I was, I was on a, a Facebook group that promotes body positivity. Um, it's a social group for women in Toronto. And there was a, um, a, a lady on there who had uh, put out a call for uh, people to be interviewed because she was she's She's working on her PhD, and she was working on a study around how uh, plus-size women are treated by their doctors and, and by the medical industry. And I actually had uh, an example that I wanted to share with her, um, and it, it's, it was basically this. Um, when I was 25 years old, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Now, my mother is diabetic. Her mother was diabetic and my grandmother's father was diabetic. I was next in line pretty much. It's a disease I inherited genetically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went in, but I was much larger than I was now. I was, um, I don't recall how much I weighed. I'm not very good at, I've, I've always been anti-owning a scale and, and measuring my, my size. Um, so I, I don't recall how much I weighed at the time, but I was a bit bigger than I am now. And I was at the doctor's office receiving my diagnosis, and my doctor legit told me you should get um, a what? What do you call it? A gastric bypass surgery. Hmm. This is my first appointment after being diagnosed. He didn't start that conversation with, "Hmm, let's try a diet. Let's get you on an exercise regime. Let's change some things." The first thing he said is, "Let's take out a $15,000 loan to do to get you a gastric band because at the time the gastric band wasn't um, covered by OHIP. Mm-hmm. I was were being like health insurance. Yeah, I was working part-time. I had been on and off welfare. Mm-hmm. Uh I was in I was struggling financially and I'm like I've been struggling. This is this is just before the 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 2008 recession. Mm-hmm. I'm like I'm struggling financially. I live in poverty and you want me to take out a $15,000 loan to cure my diabetes, which is something I inherited genetically from four generations. Um, And you want me to do this invasive surgery, paying $15,000 out of pocket. And he's like, oh, well, if you can't afford it, you can do the gastric bypass instead. That one's covered by um, by OHIP. And I'm like, hold on a minute, I'm going to research this, and then I'll get back to you. Uh, And I felt really uncomfortable that 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 was the first thing It's like, you have to lose weight, and you have to do it in the most extreme way possible. And I actually did a bit of research around, you know, what the operation entailed, um, the complications that come with it. And I'm like, you're not losing weight, because there's, they're artificially shrinking your stomach. You're losing weight because you're suffering from the af- like the post-operative complications. like And it's brutal. I've known people that have actually done the surgery. I know one person that was one of the first people in Canada to do the gastric banding. And she was in and out of the hospital on the verge of death multiple times because her band would get loose. Like it's a really dangerous procedure. And I'm like, why is my doctor going to the extreme Mm -hmm. right off the bat? My first appointment, like my first appointment after my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I went back to him. I told him, I'm not doing it. I'm Mm going to try diet and exercise first. I'm going to focus on myself. I don't want to do something that evasive. I wasn't even that overweight. Like I wasn't 300 pounds or anything like that. So like, so that was an experience. And then even recently, I've been struggling with my stomach for um, the past year. And I finally went in and did an endoscopy um, exam. Um, And this was uh, January 16th, So this was recent. And then when I woke up from the procedure, the doctor came to me and uh, he's like, oh, you have an ulcer. So you have a small ulcer. So you have to make some changes. And I told him, okay, what changes do I have to do? There are lifestyle changes. You have to change every... And then he starts listing listing a bunch of stuff that I needed to do. And I'm like, I don't do those things. He's like, no spicy food, no fried foods, don't drink coffee, don't eat late. And I'm like, other than I drink two cups of coffee every day, I'm a big Java junkie. I love my coffee. Um, and you know, sometimes they eat a little late at night because sometimes I'm really busy and I have medication that I have to take at night with food. So if I forget to take my meds or if I have dinner too early, I'll have a snack at night and -hmm. then I'll take my meds at night, but I'm not like overeating at night and I'm not eating fried foods. I'm not eating spicy foods. I have, I like, you know, I try to follow my diabetic diet as best as possible. So I'm like, what do you mean what do you mean by a lifestyle change? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Because what you're describing is just a slight shift in diet. It's not there's no lifestyle change required. So where is this comment of you need a lifestyle change? Seems coming very from? presumptuous. And I know where it's, yeah. Yes. And so I know where that's coming from. When I hear a doctor say lifestyle changes, what I'm hearing is you're fat, you have to lose weight. That's what I hear. Um, my doctor used to send me to get all of these tests done. He had me go to a cardiologist. He had me go to a gynecologist, you know, worried. Oh, we have to check all of these things. Why? Because I'm overweight. And the assumption is there that because I'm overweight, I have a higher risk of, you know, health complications. And yes, I am. I have diabetes. Something again, I've explained. I've inherited that from... Three other generations, I'm the fourth one to have it. Um, So checking all of these things, he puts me on cholesterol medication. I have better cholesterol than my doctor did. And he even (laughs) said so. So why am I on cholesterol medication? Like, why are you sending me to a cardiologist? I went to a cardiologist. There was nothing wrong with my heart. And I have had other friends who are plus size who've told me the same thing. I go to the doctor, I'm a bit overweight. And now I'm all, my, all of a sudden my doctor's sending me to all of these tests. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't even, like, I'm I'm fine. Other than the fact I'm a little overweight, I'm healthy. Yeah. So it's that that presumption of beca- that, that, there's there's stats that say if you're overweight, you're I don't know how many much more times likely to have cancer and heart disease and suffer other um, you know serious health issues and complications. But when I went and did this interview with this PhD student, she told me that the percentage of risk of having a medical complication is only a small fraction higher than the rest of the population and does not warrant this kind of invasiveness from the medical profession. It doesn't. The numbers don't, when you actually look at proper data, like it's, it's a percentage points of a risk higher than everybody else. And yet we get picked on more than everybody else. And I know people who had gone to the doctor with genuine um, concerns and were brushed off and told, oh, lose weight. Meanwhile, they had cancer that went undiagnosed because their doctors just assumed that the pain or the whatever they were experiencing was due to their weight. And they didn't properly investigate and diagnose. I have one colleague who told me that that happened to her mother She was complaining about that. The doctor told her it was because of her weight. Mind you, she's an African American woman. They're even worse um, if we're going to get into racial issues as well. You mean they're worse in terms of of being discriminated,
0: right? Just wanted to clarify. That's what it. Yes. yes, Yes.
1: Yes. the the discrimination against um, black women is even worse because of the assumption that uh, black women have a higher threshold of pain, which is untrue. So her mom went to the doctor with back pain. Doctor brushed it off as a weight issue. Turns out she had spinal cancer and she's now in a wheelchair. Oh my goodness. This woman is in a wheelchair because her doctor didn't properly diagnose her because he just assumed that her back pain was due to her being overweight. It's, so it's, this is actually causing people to die and and causing people to suffer, yeah, and and it needs to change in the medical industry because of that.
0: It's a very weight obsessed culture that we live in, um, and you know yes. you mentioned that the person that was interviewing you was also aware of studies that that pointed out how um, minor or how insignificant the the rate was. Uh, of increased complications of, of certain uh, mortality factors now um, I'm going to quote there was a meta-analysis done by Daniel L McGee that looked at um, body mass index and mortality and found that there was very little evidence that pointed an increased mortality rate for overweight for the overweight group um, mm-hmm. you know in fact overweight people who were overweight were associated with greater longevity than normal weight individuals so it just, and now when I say meta-analysis, for those that don't know, you're looking at many studies, right? So it's a very comprehensive study. And I'm not saying the study is the holy grail and end of be all of everything. I'm just pointing out something in the, in the scientific literature that is pointing out that, you know, being overweight is not necessarily linked to a uh, higher mortality rate. In fact, you can be healthy and be overweight. You can have extra fat on your body and still be much more healthier than someone who is very skinny because weight is not the only marker of health. Other habits are, other areas are. So um, research also shows that lifestyle changes you know, can reduce blood pressure, blood lipids, uh, so for example, as a result of over aerobic exercise, right? And and in, in one study, they found that even when they were doing, it was this intervention of aerobic exercise and they had these um, these markers of of poor health, blood pressure and blood lipids were reduced. And they found that this even happened for people that ended up, uh, putting on more body fat during the intervention. So that's, again, conflicting that evidence that that fat is going to make you unhealthy. And I'm not saying, again, that go, all, go ahead, everyone, let's just all put on 20 pounds of fat. I'm just saying that for those that are in that position, living in these bodies, which carry more fat, carry more weight, you know, it does not mean that we're unhealthy. It does not mean that we're going, that we're severely at risk for, XYZ complications, um, and that stigma is really doing a lot more harm um, psychologically, physically, uh, right? And for people that are overweight, and and the the very example that you pointed out, Kat, which was, uh, you know, doctors not taking the problem seriously because they see that weight and they think, oh, it's all related to the weight, and it's the weight that's the problem. If so, again, it's vilifying fat as opposed to looking at other conditions that the person is there for. Or you can be perfectly healthy and you go to your doctor and you say, well, I'm just here for, I don't know, my medication. And they're like, well, you need to do this, this, this test. And you're like, no, I feel healthy. I'm fine. So you're being targeted when you're okay. And when you are complaining, you're being told it's a fact. So there's this really weird narrative going on that and you can't help but wonder if it's the fat, like you're being discriminated, you're not being taken seriously. So this weight stigma, so we we live in a very weight obsessed society and very, yeah. And I want to point out, like, again, it's about your lifestyle. So for you, for example, Kat, you shared that, you know, your cholesterol is pretty good, right? You don't eat fried foods, you don't eat spicy food. So your doctor, without even talking to you about what your lifestyle entailed, made assumptions And and did not take your medical history, did not ask you how you live your life and just started to prescribe these tests and so forth. So that's very upsetting to me because, again, like how, how dare you assume that I'm not already doing those things, right? Because I am doing those things. And by the way, I'm not even here for that. I'm here for something else. So how do you get through to that in terms of like, what do you do to then be assertive uh, in, in the medical field, or or what would you say to women out there that are uh, dealing with doctors not listening to them?
1: I struggle with that. Um, I used to get so anxious going to the doctor to the point where, and and this is also another uh, common symptom of women that suffer plus that are plus size, and and they're very anxious going to the doctor they actually Rightly avoid so, right? going to the doctor they avoid going to the doctor because they know that conversation is going to be brought up and I, I used to get anxiety going to the doctor um especially um a few years ago I wasn't doing too well with my blood sugars they were very high um and I was had to change some of my meds I'm, I'm finally uh on the right medication and my blood sugars are finally on target. Uh, It took me a long time, but those years I used to go to my appointments. I knew that my blood sugar was not where it was supposed to be. And I used to go with a lot of anxiety and then I would freeze up and I would go in. I'm like, I'm going to be assertive and I'm going to like put my feet down. And then I would get it, go into the office and I would freeze up and I wouldn't say what I want to say. So it's, it's hard, especially, um, for people that suffer from anxiety or other mental health issues. I mean, you're talking about this holistic view of health, that it's more than just your body size. Your mental health is so important. And, you know, I don't have a lot of healthy, like I'm not the healthiest person. I struggle like a lot of people, um, but one thing that I try to work on a lot and I, I really pay attention to is my mental health. Mm-hmm. So I make sure that I'm okay with me and that I'm um, that I'm in a good home environment, that I have meaning and purpose, that I'm happy with the work that I'm doing, and that I surround myself with good people, because that has a higher indication on health outcomes than anything else. And also social determinants of health. Um you want you, you I was being criticized for being unhealthy when I was living in poverty. I was working precarious jobs. I, I didn't have uh, a meaningful um, a meaningful work that I was happy about. I wasn't happy with myself and I was struggling with depression. So, um, it's, you know, two years after my diagnosis, I was on antidepressants because of, of underlying, you know, mental health issues that I had. So all of these things are not only going to contribute to your weight, but they're going to contribute to your health. So mm-hmm. I take care of my mental health first and taking care of my body and the things that I do. And I mean, I'm, I'm not, I've never liked working out, I've never liked exercise. So I've been struggling to find that type of exercise that I actually enjoy. And a lot of that is from the shame that I had growing up as a kid, being picked last in gym class being made fun of in gym class, because I was bigger than the other kids. So I've labeled physical education, uh, physical um, exercise in my head with emotional trauma. Mm -hmm. So every time I work out, it triggers me. Right. So there's so many different aspects around why someone may or may not be overweight. And if you don't look at or pay attention to those other underlying factors, it's going to affect their health. Yeah. So, and, and then there's also, I know we're talking about studies and a lot of the studies that have been done around obesity and what I have to tell people, cause I, I hear it too. I hear people tell me, Oh, cat." It's just a matter of effort and hard work. You know, if you just put in a little bit of effort, you could lose the weight. Like, you can't guarantee that. And the reason you can't guarantee that is because the entire global medical industry hasn't figured it out. We haven't solved the obesity problem. We have done so many studies and all the studies do is contradict each other. We haven't figured out what actually makes someone lose weight. There's a a great book and I and I pulled it out. It's called um, XXL Obesity and the Limits of Shame. It's by Neil Seaman and Patrick Luciani. Mm-hmm. There's a a snapshot of it for you. Um, And he actually go, the the authors actually go into quite um, an amount of detail about all of the different studies and conventions that, you know, world-class doctors have been going to. And there is no medical consensus yet around the true factors of obesity and how to combat it. And the reason is, because human beings are so unique and different from each other. And what will work for one person will not work for another person, will not work for the other person. So nutrigenomics
0: have- is that fear, right? Like uh, how nutrients affect your genetics. So it's another, like it was emerging years ago, but now it, it's it's definitely something to look into.
1: Yes. But even, even those studies and they've, they've, they've been trying to, they're trying to fit, this into a box you do x y z because that's what science is it's all about formulas you do x y z and the result is is uh, d and it doesn't work that way there's no way we're not at a scientific we haven't advanced scientifically enough to actually know how to like Look at a person, analyze them, study them, and be like, okay, this is what you need to do, X, Y, Z, and this will be the result, and it'll work. We haven't figured that out yet. So when people come and tell me, oh, it's about calorie intake, oh, it's about cardio, oh, it's not actually about exercise, it's about your diet. Like the amount of times my own doctor has contradicted himself in the advice he's given me over (laughs) the years is telling. He's told me, oh, it's your diet, oh, it's you have to eat more. More, um, more uh, darker grains, or cut certain carbs, and then two years later he'll tell me, "Oh, it doesn't matter if you're eating those carbs; that does nothing. It's exercise." And then three years later he'll tell me, "Oh, it's not actually exercise." He'll go back and say it's your diet, and I'm like, "How am I not to be confused? Uh, I, you know, I'm getting judged that I'm not doing everything that I can to lose weight and look a certain way, yet." The entire world's medical field hasn't even figured it out yet. So how do you, who only learned what you know from going on YouTube, you're not even a registered dietitian, and yet you're giving me advice and telling me how I should be eating and how I should be exercising? And at this point, even, yeah, I'd, li- I'd
0: like to point out that many doctors, uh, just just medical yeah. education, does not cover comprehensively or extensively nutrition education. Um So Thank just you. because someone is a doctor doesn't mean that they know everything about food and nutrition. You have people that, I mean, I studied to be a dietitian. I'm not a dietitian. And I remember one of my, our first uh, senior lectures, the, the first thing the prof said, she talked about the obesity epidemic, as you mentioned, Kat. And just yeah. to echo your words, she this is what she said. She said, there's clearly something wrong. In our system, it's not working because we haven't no. figured it out and it keeps getting worse. So, no, it's not working. And this was like our fourth year, you know, research. Um, like, this was our, our class. So, yeah. And, and also, we had lectures where we were told, oh, do you know how many nutrition classes a doctor takes in, in their uh, career? like one or two, it was something like that. And we were being told, you need to advocate, you need to educate people about nutrition because the amount of advice that will be conflicting from doctors is gonna be, it's it's gonna be terrible. And that's what we're seeing. And this is why there's so much confusion. And I mean, I'm I would challenge the education system to say, well, why are we... I, I I'm all for medical, by the way, the Western medicine. I'm not anti-western medicine. I do I appreciate love my doctors and what they do and applaud them. And especially in this time, I think, you know, the what they're doing is is just incredible. but the the context, I want to bring it back to context of what you and I are talking about is very, very, very specific. We're talking about nutrition education and having a holistic, a viewpoint of the social determinants of health when you engage with patients, and that seems yeah. to be missing in a lot of practitioners. Who yeah. sometimes, what it feels like, we're being treated like numbers. So they're not listening, and they're spitting out advice left, right, and center. But more than half the time, we know that what it, what are they do? They uh, collaborate, work closely with pharmaceutical companies. What are you doing in medicine? You're studying drugs. You're studying the human body, but really you're studying as drugs as a primary intervention, not your diet so it's going to take a very special doctor to show interest in the human body from a nutritional from a holistic social uh, standpoint to get the message across and I I do believe that there are many doctors out there that are taking that standpoint that 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 stance and, and I applaud them and I hope I just I really really hope that that's the direction that we can go to right where we can increase nutrition education and as you pointed out look at the social determinants of health because when you're counseling someone whether you're a doctor whatever specialty you have you have a patient there you owe it to them to look at other facets of their life and you may not be the expert but at least address those and how they're contributing to whatever the issue is because it's not black and white it's not so simple and, and people yeah. unfortunately die because of these things because they're not taken seriously or they're not being listened to so mm-hmm. it, it's it's a very serious issue and and much needs to be done in terms of education. And I think it starts also by us having conversations like these, right? Open up to the world and say, Well, this is my experience and this is what I'm going through. And 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 no, it's it's not a joke and it's not something to take lightly, it's a very serious topic. Um, and now going back to fat shaming, uh, I know you briefly mentioned how, you know, the discrimination has affected you um, in the dating world. If you can give us a brief, um, you know, synopsis of how, how it's impacted you, because you fa- face discrimination, you know, on on the medical side. And now what about on a personal level with your friends or uh, potential partners, romantic relationships?
1: Um. I mean, this, this comes from being socialized at a very young age uh, and being very aware that there was something wrong with me from a young age. Uh, Like I mentioned, I'd been plus size my whole life and, you know, it starts with your family. And one of the things that I used to get, um, not well teased, um, I I can't say that it's, It was intentional in order to harm me. But the one thing that I used to hear a lot growing up from aunts and uncles and family friends was, oh, you're a little bit chubby. Well, you know, you've got to lose weight if you want to have a boyfriend. Oh, you're not going to get a boyfriend if you don't lose a little bit of weight. I heard that my entire life. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was old enough to start dating, I had already internalized the message that there was something wrong with me that made me unlovable, that made it so that men would not be attracted to me. I was ugly. I was disgusting. That's the message that I internalized from a very young age. And I have had self-esteem issues my entire life because of it. I've tried to work on that a lot. And I've, I've tried to like look at You know, life from a different way, Um, you know, try to embody some of those body positivity messages. But the thing is, that voice in my head that tells me I am ugly and unworthy of love, that voice never goes away. So, obviously, trying to date with that voice in your head, you're not going to date with the confidence of someone that doesn't have that voice in the head. Not Mm -hmm. to say that, you know, uh, other people like that are thinner or are considered more attractive based on the current social norms that they don't experience that too. And that's something that I've kind of uh, discovered over my own life and, you know, interacting with my own friends who I thought were more attractive, attractive than me. And it turns out they had the same self-esteem issues that I had. So, you know, trying to date with that kind of uh, it's, it's very hard to date and say cat no, you're going to find someone that's going to appreciate you for your size. In fact, that's what I used to tell my aunts and uncles when they used to joke about me. um There was this uh, older lady that used to say that to me all the time, and I would reply to her laughing, Well, you know, if they won't like me for my body and for who I am, then I don't want to date them. So, mm, too bad. Good for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And I remember saying that at age 14 and 15 to people. Gosh, but, you're
0: really and, mature. <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: Where? Were you when I was fourteen, <laughs> <laughs> right? But it did. It did. It still affect the way I dated and the way I saw myself. Of course, it did. So mm. when I date, and and I also see it in the way that men respond to me, and I don't know if that's based on my own lack of self confidence or my own insecurities. Maybe I'm projecting that I don't know. But I don't get attention the way that other people do. I don't get messages from guys on dating apps in the same numbers as a majority of my friends that I talk to. I don't get hit on on the street the way I know, like I hear about my friends and how, you know, how they get hit on and how you know, they'll talk about Oh, well, I hooked up or you know, I started dating this person. And I'm like, how? How did you do it? Like, wh- like, how? How is it possible? Because that's not my experience. Um, and and I, I keep being told by people that, you know, men are visual, men are visual, men are visual. And that only just reinforces the idea that, oh, well, if men are visual, then I don't have a shot because I don't fit the, the beauty norms that are the current norms in this society. I was born in the wrong century for having a fat body. <laughs> you know, I go so to the museums, I go to Louvre, I go to uh, museums around yeah. the world. And what do you see voluptuous sculptures and paintings <laughs> of these bigger women? And I'm yeah. like, why wasn't I born then? I would have been the, like I would have been a catch, but because I live in 2021, Um, Dating is much, much harder and Mm -hmm. building self-confidence is much, much harder because of the constant bombardment of messages messages that I get from magazines and from media. And it's only been recently where we've been starting to feature more plus-size actresses and singers. I remember when uh, Adele became huge, it blew my mind because as a little girl, I like to sing, but I had convinced myself, well, you're fat cat. You can never be a singer because they will never give someone with a, bigger body and uh, an album they'll never mm. give them a record deal so you know the, you and know, still it rarely happens
0: days. right it's so rare even yeah. now although as you're mentioning it's it's happening we're seeing more um, our media is getting more inclusive and it, it's about time it's yeah. about, it's high time that that happened <laughs> But I think we still have a long way to go, where we have some representation to have a significant impact on the self esteem, or, or or to make the, these kids growing up feel like they're they're part of that they're accepted as part of the society. And it's really yeah. astounding at how our beauty standards have changed. And you know, we had the the what is what was it called the heroine cheek, or where you're so skinny, right? You you basically look like you're on drugs. Oh. Um, and that was the new beauty standard. And then you have the more and more people you see, they're incredibly is, slender, incredibly slender. And and it's just, it's- Yeah, and that's actually
1: loving. more harmful. Yeah. It's actually more harmful to your health to be that emancipated yeah. than to be plus size. Numbers it was, show it. Yeah, we're, we're labeling fatter bodies as the unhealthy ones. And we're we're putting skinnier bodies on a pedestal. It makes no sense, right? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> and it's, guys it's... will date a court, and guys will date a to the beauty standards, right? I That's know many.
0: Um, I do know many couples and men that you know that are with plus size women, and you know they have very loving relationships. So I do know it's it's possible. It's just it's a bit. You know, I, I don't want to again vilify all men out there, um, but you're right. No, we've no. been we've been we've been told men are visual. This is what men want, and this is what they like. And as a result, whether you're on the skinny spectrum or the overweight spectrum wherever you fall, you will have insecurities about your appearance because you're going to be thinking that, my worth as a woman has much to do with the size of my waist, uh, which is a very toxic mentality, which is why both ends struggle. Even if you're skinny, you're struggling. And we hear about women that aren't eating, you know, have eating disorders and and so forth. And they go through extreme lengths to really break their bodies down, like literally break their muscle tissue down to achieve a certain uh, standard of beauty or go under the knife to get injections and so forth and enhancements and it's really distorted in terms of what the message we were saying in terms of your worth as a woman it's a wonderful song by India Ari I don't know what it's called but she basically talks about being um, her worth having more than just her clothes and her appearance I think there is a lot more work to be done and I do applaud the body positivity movement right to to shed light on that I was reading a blog about someone, a, a body positive blogger. She was writing at the, a the history of body positivity and how it started out with, with Black women. She quoted a, a, another blogger, Gabby Fresh, who, who started posting pictures of herself and outfits of the days and so forth, and it caught on. And then she said that now it, it was turned into something else like you had these women that were not conventionally plus size they were perfectly healthy weight and now they're claiming to be plus sized and uh, and these And now light was being shed on them. So it was being skewed away instead of being a movement that was representative of all genders and colors. You had now this focus to what appear to be regular stereotypical women that we see on TV anyway, that are kind of jumping in the bandwagon and saying, I'm curvy or like, I'm, you know, don't judge me. Why would I wear? Which is it's sending that weird message. It's really perpetuating the very ideals that the body positivity movement was against. So it is um there is that that's happening out there, too. but uh, but there are, I mean, I would encourage everyone to look at some influencers on Instagram, but look at all women, you know, women of color. Uh, try to look beyond the person that you think is representative of the movement because, it's it's about exposure. It's about acceptance and and discrimination. As you know, you started with the human rights code cap. There's so much we need to, to still fight for in terms of human rights and
1: equity. It's, it's also Quality. there's a lot of connection, and and I'm I'm glad that you mentioned. Uh, the body positivity movement from the uh, the black perspective, because when it comes to any kind of discrimination, like even there's a lot of talk about, you know, feminism being exclusionary towards black women, the body positivity movement is the same. Right. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about uh, the posi- the body positivity movement um, for women of color is the fact that you know, it, there's another layer here where black bodies, not just black fat bodies, but black bodies themselves are always under attack. Mm-hmm. So for women, for plus size women uh, who are of color, um, are they, it goes a little bit deeper. It's not just their, their bodies are constantly under attack mm-hmm. for the color of their skin and for people who are plus size as well then that's an added added mm-hmm. kind of uh layer of discrimination that they face but loving their own bodies is not just about loving their bodies and the shapes of their bodies uh, and it's this uh it, it's about loving the color of their skin and how their body moves and and it's about, it's a movement about self-care. Exactly. Um, so there's this one influencer that I followed, and I, I just pulled them up on Facebook. And she wrote a book called The Body is Not an Apology. <laughs> and her name is Sonia Renee Taylor. Uh, mm-hmm. So she wrote this book called The Body is Not an Apology. And you can actually, she has a page on Facebook called The Body is Not a." Apology an apology. And she really, she's a feminist. Uh, She's also an anti-Black racist uh, advocate and she's an advocate around, um, you know, body positivity. I think she also has a disability, so a physical disability. So she has all of those intersectionalities. So Mm -hmm. this topic is really personal to her because body positivity is not just about your size, but it's about how we see our own bodies. In the world and how we navigate with our bodies in the world. And her message is, you know, we're always apologizing for the space that we take up. I have done that. I'm on the subway and I I, I feel myself kind of like, you know, crouching and and and, and, and going into myself, you know, just to not give a, the person sitting next to me a little bit more space. And I'm I feel embarrassed for how big I am. And, and that's the the way that bigger bodies conduct themselves every day in society, constantly apologizing for our bodies and for taking up space. Like we don't have a right to take up space. So uh, Sonia's, um, the title of her book is very apt, is our body is not an apology. We shouldn't have to apologize to society for the body that we have. Our body is meant to be a tool, a vehicle for us to enjoy life and we should you know, take care of it and we should value it. And I struggle with that. And I, I know so many people struggle with that, especially because I'm, I watch a lot of YouTube. I watch a lot of uh, Chinese dramas on YouTube. I'm obsessed. And <laughs> I, I get bombarded with commercials on, this is how you're supposed to lose weight. If you follow my plan, it's not about slimming this, it's teas about that. and Try, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, this, this supplement will solve all of your weight problems. <laughs> oh, buy this product because it'll slim you down. And then, this 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 shapewear will slim you down and get rid of your bulges so i'm being bombarded with these messages right
0: yes uh we are constantly being bombarded uh, and I don't think anyone needs to, even a reminder. All it takes is for them to open up their Instagram or wherever you are, whatever your media is, <laughs> you're going to be reminded of society's uh, need uh, for you to adjust your weight <laughs> constantly, constantly. Oh, yeah. So I just wanted to say, Kat, thank you so much for um, for for being here on the podcast. It's 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 really a pleasure having you, and for oh, thank you my uh, you're welcome for um, for sharing your experience and and all the all the knowledge that you do bring to the table so it's very much appreciated and I think it's a very very important conversation to have um, the more we talk about it the more we um, normalize things so I think it is very important we have these conversations not just with our medical practitioners our friends but sir but our friends our family um, and uh and I, I do remember a time when you know my family would always comment about my body every time I saw them. Oh, you gained a little bit of weight. Oh, you lost a little bit of weight. Oh, you gained some weight. And honestly, I had had enough. Um, I had some hormonal issues that were uh, making it very that that actually led me to put on some weight, and which were also worsened by uh, depression and some mental health issues. You know, after my divorce, so. Um, It was very tough, you know, to then be going through different things and then be reminded you're letting yourself go. But that wasn't even the issue. It was uh, if you have a metabolic condition, if you have a condition that you can still Again, be very healthy and nobody knows your story. So I remember having a very strict and stern conversation with my mother and my younger brother and saying to them, please do not make any comment about my weight. When we get together, I do not want to hear anything weight related. It took some time, but it, it worked. You know, they stopped commenting and I think it's just we're we're in a better place. We see each other. There's so much love. There's so much we connect on other things. We're not just judging and keeping tabs on who's skinnier. So it is drastically uh, impact improved my relationship with my my mother i happy that they stopped doing that that they actually listened so hopefully I guess that's the last the final thoughts that I would have is let's have these conversations with people that are we're closest to um, and anyone and everyone because the more we talk about it that's really the only way we can educate others and and bring a new perspective right because someone may not just Is Again, we're all products of our culture, Kat, as you pointed out, right, what we grow to believe about ourselves. So on the flip side, if men are being told certain things, then maybe we need to challenge the way they think. And that starts with us having these conversations with the very people that uh, sometimes would scare us, like our doctors and, you know, um, people out there that we need the validation from. So any final thoughts, Kat?
1: Um, in terms of, again, and this is what I guess the the, the purpose of the, the body positivity movement is about creating that awareness. And I think what society needs to do is they need to get comfortable with bigger bodies. And I, I really admire, because I myself am not in that position uh, to feel comfortable doing so, but I, I really admire um, plus size models and influencers who bear their bodies yeah, uh, on social media who, you know, will share boudoir photos of <laughs> yeah. a lingerie, right, Gosh, all that's... of their curves. <laughs> and I I'm, I, try to immerse and, and share those types of images um, on social media. I watched a really great TED Talk about um, uh, another advocate of the body positivity movement. And throughout her entire TED Talk, she was actually showing... Um, like photos of bigger bodies in the nude and Mm. she says it's important it's very important to fight the stigma we have to see bigger bodies Mm. we need to have that on our visual platforms we need to see them because we're we avoid seeing them and when we do we create this kind of mentality that there's something wrong that it's fear. Really. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. But how, but, but the, the rates of, you know, people that are above the dress size of 12 is huge. Mm-hmm. How many of us have bigger bodies and we have to live with bigger bodies, especially as we age? A lot of girlfriends who were skinny in high school, skinny in their 20s, and then in their 30s, you know, after getting married and having kids, their bodies got bigger and they don't know how to deal with that because they they were always a certain way now that their bodies have changed and now that they're you know finally experiencing all of the, the discrimination and all of the experiences that come with it. Um, like they don't, they don't know how to cope. And I think if we start to normalize bigger bodies, seeing more bigger bodies, accepting it, mm-hmm. then that help will help break the stigma. Um, so I'm not there yet. I wouldn't feel comfortable. I, I'm, I'm very modest. Uh, but I would not feel comfortable stripping down to abuse. And that's I don't fine. That's, Haiti, right? that's fine. It's a personal but,
0: choice, right? It's a personal choice. Yeah.
1: But I think it's important for us to see more bigger bodies and to see them more in our media and and to have these conversations and to tell people, you know, bring some humanity because in society, being fat is still the only socially acceptable uh, form of discrimination, yeah, people applaud you when you're making fun of someone who's fat that's mm. still okay and I think that that is that it's not okay and that we need to start calling that out and I really admire a lot of these plus size social influencers because they're the ones that are kind of spearheading and saying no that isn't okay I have a bigger body but I'm still beautiful mm. I still have value and I still have worth and if you don't um, value that about me, then I don't want you in my circle. So I've had to do that. I've had to be very, I'm very selective with the friends that I have in my life. And I bring in people in my life who I know will value me for me and my personality and what I bring to the friendship and what I bring to the world as a human being. And ultimately, to normal- I think that's yeah. that's
0: gonna make you have more wholesome relationships with people, really deep, valuable yeah. relationships with people. So that's a very good thing that, you know, comes out of uh, people that are advocating for that acceptance from others. And, and you might say you're not there yet, but I still see someone very strong and cor- courageous and someone that Will have better relationships in the circle of friends because you're very particular, right? Because from the onset yeah. you're you're very particular. So after all that introspection, something good has to come out of it
1: right? <laughs> I guess so. yeah,
0: <laughs> thanks so much, Cat. Um pleasure talking to you. Oh, no and, um, problem. It's always
1: a pleasure to talk to Santa. You have no reason to be having conversations with yourself because I guarantee you lots of people <laughs> like talking to you. <laughs> Thank you. We'll always have such, and, and again, we're we're friends. So we've had social uh, engagements and we've always had great conversations whenever, you know, I do go to your house for a house party. I always enjoy having these conversations with you. So um, to be able to do it in a podcast is my honor.
0: And would love to have you back. Thanks for joining Kat.
1: I've got lots. Yeah, I've got (laughs) lots
0: of topics that
1: I can go on and on about. So take your pick. (laughs)
0: I'll definitely be reaching out. (laughs) Thanks for everyone uh, who tuned in. You can find this podcast on my website at www.aartysana.com. It's also on Apple Podcasts and Google and other subscriber um, platforms too. So thanks everyone and take care. Thanks Kat.